Welcome to the Flint Citadels podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps.
What a great song to start out with. Um, I always like those songs, especially when it's sunny out, because it's a very triumphant song, and uh, you know, it's, it fits perfectly with the fact that we're meditating and reflecting on Jesus' death and his sacrifice and his uh, victory over death and sin. And so, thank you for sharing that. That was that was awesome. We're going to sing another song. Um, I ask you to stand as we sing um, "Nothing But the Blood of Jesus," and it, it just talks about. Um, the writer is, is meditating on, you know, what can really take away my sin? What can take my burdens away? It's not substances. It's not vacations. It's not ignoring. It's not um, denying God. That ultimately just becomes a bigger, bigger burden until we finally give it over to Jesus. And then, like, we just feel so much lighter. It's almost like uh, we just lost a lot of weight off of ourselves. And so I would ask that you would... Uh, just think about these words. If you, if you don't know these words, most of you probably do because it is the traditional version of the song. Um, but if you don't know these words, just meditate on them and think about um, Jesus' death and uh, what it does for your life.
You know, in a trial, witnesses are called upon to testify about things that they know, theoretically at least, to be true. And attorneys are going to grill these witnesses when they get them up on the stand to make sure that their testimony is, is factual and, and not speculation. And in the Apostle John's time, people who were recognized as teachers were dispensing information that really didn't match up with what John knew to be true. And so he began his letter in 1 John by reminding the readers that his words weren't speculation at all. In fact, that they reflected his eyewitness account of this personal experience with Jesus. So he was up there giving his firsthand account of it, and it started like this. In the first ten verses of 1 John, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. These are powerful words, but words of truth. And if you've seen him, then you can make claims similar to this to those around you, just like he did. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you're with us this morning, and and Lord, as you uh, minister to our hearts this morning, Through all that's said and all that's done here, help us to know that we can be a witness for you. Help us to know that we can stand up for you because we have seen the great works that your your hands have done. We see it every day in all that we see around us, but in our own personal lives, Lord, as we've learned to lean upon you, help us to know that as we do so that we can be a witness for you. And as we do so here this morning, Lord, help us to lift up your name in worship and open our hearts for the message that we shall hear this morning. What you know that we ask these things. Amen. Well, I guess the big question comes then. Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We're going to get a chance to sing this. You can all go ahead and stay in the pews this time. I know we stand and sing quite a bit. It's the up, down, up, down aerobics thing sometimes. But uh, we're going to sit and we're going to sing. But think about these words. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Think about the words as we sing them, friends, and the band will bring us these three verses straight on down.
Amen. And it's, I, it's my hope this morning that we are all here to be washed in the blood. Good morning, everyone. It's a little different up here versus back there. So I just wrote out a few things so I could um, touch on some of these topics this morning. Um, Since Jesus is believing in in Jesus, um, he has replaced hopelessness with hope. He has replaced um, peace and joy with sorrow and depression. You know, um, I lived a lot of my, I'm 42 years old, and probably over 30 years it was lived in condemnation and just all the time feeling guilty because I couldn't live up to, you know, um, being perfect. Even five years old, I can remember sneaking in the cookie jar and saying my mom didn't see me, but God did. And even though I didn't understand it at the time, he was doing a work in me. And not learning about what true Christianity was about um, because of the, the circles of friends and family members, you, they were no different from the people in the world. We have to be different. They have to see something different inside of us and yearn for that. And it's not speaking in Christianese, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. It's walking in the light and being an example and loving people and being kind and compassionate towards our fellow man. I am reminded of a, a young lady. She walked in a convenience store one day, and I brought a friend in. She needed to get some some snacks for a road trip she was taking. And Immediately, I was drawn to this woman. She had a a huge knot on her head. She was a Caucasian woman. She had a huge knot on her head, and um, she had 10 bottles in a bag. And she walked up to the cash, cash register, got her dollar, and I followed her out of the store. And... Um, she was at the payphone, and she said, um, she went, as I was approaching her, she looked like she was afraid. She says, um, do you need to use the phone? And she extended it to me, and I said, no, I just want to give you this, and I put some money in her hand. And at this time, my friend had come out, and we, I asked her, did she want me to pray for her? And she said, yes. So we, I began praying for her, and maybe halfway through the prayer, she began just weeping and screaming and I said what's wrong and she said well um, it was two men in a truck right in front of us and they were going to kill me they drove off because they thought I knew you you saved my life and she began to kiss my hands and thank me she kept repeatedly said Um, I love you. And then she said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. I can't love you. I said, yes, you can, because I love you too. And she she just thanked me and thanked me over and over again. And I said to her, um, I I just, I felt, I didn't feel right leaving her there. I said, do you need a ride? She said, no. I said, can you call somebody and they can come and get you? She said, all of my family disowned me. Um, I used to be a school teacher and I lost everything due to drugs. And my kids, I had three, my three daughters were in the car, and they just wept and wept and wept. And they often ask about her, I wonder how's Lorraine doing? And she's always in my prayer. But what I said that to say that we don't have to know anybody. We have to be watchful. We have to look around and see who needs a helping hand. You, you just never know who they, how you can affect them. You know, I... I have two co-workers that believe, believe in evolution, and oh my goodness, it tears through me so much because nothing I say will convince them to believe in Jesus. So I just live by example, you know, and one of the gentlemen said to me, Penny, if I had half of the happiness that you have, gosh, life would be great. You too can have this. It's Jesus. That's what it is. It's not what I have. It's not... What defines me is not material possessions. It's not um, money, my, my, my bank account, my title. Um, none of that defines me. Christ is the Christ in me. That's what helps me get through my day. And I, I often use this illustration. When you begin, I mean truly begin to walk in the love of Christ, you, it's effortless. It's completely effortless. You don't have to try. It, 
because your strength comes from him and we have to talk to him we have to communicate with him every day we have to acknowledge him in everything because my husband and I live together and if I only talked to him on Thursdays we wouldn't have a relationship you know we walk breeze past each other every day and then Thursdays hi how are you <laughs> you know we have not just Sundays but every day we have to talk to him and acknowledge him for who he is and he's a wonderful 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 god and he's changed my life and now i have purpose i have a destiny i i i look forward to eternal life you know i can honestly leave this this life today and know that i'm going to be with him because of how i'm living today not like the world we can be in the world but we can't be of the world thank you Some people love rappelling off mountains. They relish that stomach in the throat sensation. Not me. I prefer the seat in the chair one. I had traveled to Colorado to experience a week of rest to the fullest. Fresh air, great views, good coffee, long talks. These events made my list. Half gainers off the mountain? Nope. <laughs> but you can blame persuasive friends and stupid pride for my presence on the mountain peak platform. A college-age girl handed me a leather harness. She told me to step in. It's kind of like a diaper, she smiled, all too chipper. I may need a diaper, I thought. It's simple, she explained. Hold the rope and jump. Bounce off the wall with your feet. You know, someone should make a law. The words jump, bounce, and wall should never be spoken in the same breath. How do I keep from crashing? I asked her. You don't. I do that. I had a hard time believing her. You see, not only was she half my age, she was half my size. More the ballet sort than the ballet sort. But don't I do something, I begged? You trust me. So I inched up to the edge of the cliff and I gave her a look like the one the 316 promise often prompts. Can I really trust that whoever believes in him shall not perish? You see, Jesus' invitation seems all too simple. We prefer other verbs, don't we? Work has a better ring to it. Whoever works for him will be saved. Satisfy fits nicely. Whoever satisfies him will be saved. But believe? Shouldn't I do more? Christ, in response, says to us what the rope-holding girl said to me. Your part is to trust. Trust me to do what you can't. By the way, you take similar steps of trust daily, even hourly. You believe the chair will support you, so you set your weight on it. You believe the water will hydrate you, so you swallow it. You trust the work of the light switch, so you flip it. You have faith in the doorknob, and so you turn it. You display trust all the time. You trust powers you cannot see to do works you cannot accomplish. And Jesus invites you to do the same with Him, just Him. Look to Jesus and believe. The girl told me to fix my gaze on her. As I took the plunge, she shouted, Keep your eyes up here. Well, I didn't have to be told twice. She was the only one between the two of us who was smiling. But since she did her work, I landed safely. And because Jesus has done His, so will you. Good morning. We're going to sing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord.
responsive scripture this morning, if you will join with me in reading it. Shouldn't I do more? This seems to be the struggle of Nicodemus. It was his conversation with Christ. Remember, that set the stage for John 3.16. The scholar asks, and so do we. What's my part? There must be more. Jesus comforts the visiting professor with an account from the Torah, Nicodemus's favorite book. And Moses Why did Jesus precede the 316 offer with a reference to a serpent in the wilderness? Here is the backstory. The wandering Israelites were grumbling at Moses again. Though camped on the border of the promised land and beneficiaries of four decades of God's provisions, the Hebrews sounded off like spoiled trust fund brats. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the Ex slaves longing for Egypt, dreaming of pyramids and cursing the wasteland, pining for Pharaoh and vilifying Moses. They hated the hot sand, the long days, and the manna. And God had had all the moaning he could take. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they hated the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Survivors pleaded with Moses to plead with God for mercy. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. This passage was a solemn prophecy, and it was also a simple promise. Snake bit Israel, found healing by looking at the pole. Sinners will find healing by looking to Christ. How believing in Christ has changed my life. I no longer have to numb myself with alcohol. I can accept life on life's terms and on God's terms. It is not always what I think I want or what I am, or in my time, that's for sure. The closer I get to the Lord, the more Satan tries to tempt me. In 2000, after learning there is a Lord and I'm not it, life started getting a lot clearer. He has blessed my, my life in ways that I cannot explain. The first, true knowledge, the first true knowledge of the Lord come with help from the major reeds, both of them, Mr. and Mrs. God has put people in my life to push me, to nudge me, and to allow me knowledge of the Lord. And when I try to do my own will, these people are there to push me in the other direction. The Lord has blessed me with a family that I'm definitely not deserving of. I'm uh, very blessed with seven children and a wife. My wife is almost as stubborn as I am. When I start trying to do my own will, she pushes me in a direction, and sometimes I don't listen right away. But in the end, I know that she is doing what she believes is right. We do our best to guide our children towards Jesus, and we definitely have a church family that helps us to guide our children. I thank God for being a forgiving God because I am a sinner, and thanks to believing in the Lord, I can be forgiven. What my goal is, is in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, 
out of the New Living Translation. Now these are gifts that God gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build the church in the body of Christ. This will, this will continue until we have come to such unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's my testimony.
Thank you, songsters. This is the house of God, and we are the house of God as individuals. He dwells within us. For the past um, number of weeks, we've been focusing on John 3.16, and what an amazing thing that God has done for us. We've looked at who he is. We've looked at what he's done, how he has revealed himself in Jesus, how he loves us and, and what he offers to us. But today, we're shifting our attention from God to ourselves, more specifically to our response to him. Please open your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. 1 John is a letter written to us from a pastor, the disciple John. John walked and talked with Jesus for three years. He knew him through his day-to-day interactions with him. He knew Jesus when Jesus was worn out and tired, when he was serious, and when Jesus was joking around. Come to think of it, John probably knew the man Jesus better than any other human in history. The letter we call 1 John was written by John to the Christian church of his day to reassure, alert, and teach them. And I think it can do the same for us today. 1 John 1, 1 1-4 reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. In this letter, John encourages us to make a choice. You see, he wants us to believe and and so experience the relationship he's had with Jesus a relationship with God. And and so we can have the same uh, joy in our lives that he experienced. John begins with these words, that which was from the beginning. Kind of reminds me of the first words in the book of Genesis, first chapter in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. But the beginning John speaks of here refers to Jesus. With the advent of Jesus, God's message of love can now be seen and heard and touched and handled. It wasn't just some some concept. As I shared a few weeks ago, Jesus is like a, a magnifying glass in that he gives us a clearer understanding of God because he can bring God up close. He makes the Father who dwells in unapproachable light approachable. And personal. John reminds us in this first chapter that he isn't the only witness. He reminds us that others have heard Jesus with their own ears and touched him with their own hands. This morning, we've heard a couple of testimonies, and I want to thank Penny and Scott for um, just standing up and sharing what a difference Jesus has made in their lives. I hope that any of you could have stood up here and shared your testimony about what a difference Jesus has made in your life. Remember, people may argue and disagree with your theology and your faith, but your testimony is something no one can refute. It's your story. John's testimony is based on historical reality. It's his eyewitness experience. Sure, 
We can choose to believe another's testimony or we can choose to disbelieve it. Happens every day in courtrooms across this nation. But it's difficult not to believe when more than one person gives the same testimony. And that's what John is presenting here. The question today is, do you believe their testimony? Do you believe it? Let me push you a little farther because there's, there's some danger here because you can fake spirituality. You can pretend to know God. You can come to church regularly. You can put your money into the offering plate. You can wear a uniform. You can play in the band and sing in the songsters. You can get baptized and take communion every time it's offered. You can volunteer at Christmas. You can do all of these things and still not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The danger is that in doing these things, you can give the appearance that you're a believer. You can fool yourself. You can fool others. And you and I can substitute these things for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. And I would venture to say some of you know what I'm talking about because you're there right now. Verse 5 tells us that God is light. In other words, God is pure goodness. There isn't any dark corner in Him. God is light, and He calls us to be light in this world, this world that's been darkened by sin. Because God is good, He asks us, He commands us to be good as well. He wants us to be like Him. Now I can almost hear some of you thinking, I can't possibly be good like God. It's too high a standard. It's, it's unattainable. That's unreasonable. In fact, you might be thinking that if that's what the Bible teaches, then the Bible really can't be trusted. God has just set us up for failure. But look at verse 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Here, John tells us that the, the true believer doesn't live in darkness. In other words, we don't hide and engage in acts of um, disobedience. It's not what a true believer does. A true believer is someone who acknowledges when there's sin in our own life. A true believer recognizes that when light comes in, whatever has been hidden is now exposed. Just like a spotlight that searchers direct to find some hidden object. It reveals wrong, the light of God. It reveals sin in our lives. Now, John isn't telling this uh, to us because um, he expects that when we become a believer, we're going to have to be sinless. If we read on, verses 8 through 10 say... If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. John goes so far as to say that anyone who claims to be sinless is just fooling themselves. What John explains is that a true believer is open and responsive to the light. Whenever we're made aware of 
failures in our lives. We're quick to acknowledge those once hidden areas and ask God for cleansing. Maybe even asking a brother or sister to help us in that area, to be accountable. Do you know people that agonize and go through life wondering and worrying if they are really right with God or not? Well, if you're one of them, let me set you free. Let me set you free. When we are honestly seeking the light, when we're striving after the things of God, it will be clear to us when we're not walking in the light. God doesn't leave us to wonder. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But walking in the light doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means that we're quick to confess and abandon our sins. You see, confession links us to God's mercy. That's God's grace. He has linked the ability to confess our sins through the blood of Christ to forgiveness. I remember as a kid, um, stealing a piece of candy from Miller's Grocery Store. I'll never forget it. The store was located in an old house. And in front of this old house was one of those big picture windows. And um, now, now when I went into the store, I didn't plan to steal anything. I just went in there. I don't remember what I went in there for. Um, But when I got in there, no one was there. The guy wasn't at the counter. And I, I even looked down the aisles. I couldn't find him. I called out. No one was there. And that's when, out of nowhere, this impulse came that I should take a piece of candy. So I grabbed the candy, and I left the store. Now let me give you some advice if you're looking to start a life of crime. Don't steal candy in front of a large picture window. It's not really smart. Because there was a guy who had pulled up in a car outside, and he saw what I did. And as soon as I got out of the store, that guy nabbed me, and he drug me back inside. And I had to return the candy. I had to apologize. And I was uh, banned from that store for a few days. But, you know, I was allowed to return. I was uh, freed to return because I was forgiven. Having our lives, especially our sin, exposed to the light opens the door to being forgiven. It's a great thing God does for us in causing us to get caught, causing us to to be exposed to the light. Our tendency is to bury and to hide. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Be assured of this. God is faithful. He is just. Acknowledged sins will always be forgiven because Jesus has shed his blood. He has paid the price so we can have confidence. We don't have to go to him um, begging. We can go to him boldly and we can confess our sin and he will forgive. God cleanses us from the pollution of sin and a new life of purity and goodness begins when we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives and to empower us This is called holiness. It's what we speak of in the Salvation Army as that experience of holiness. You see, believing opens the door to receiving. We believe the Holy Spirit when he convicts us as sinners, and we believe that Jesus died to pay the price for those sins. And that opens the door to forgiveness and restoration and the removal of of that sense of guilt. When we become so filled with faith, sometimes in the middle or in the beginning our hearts believe, but it takes our mind a bit longer. And we say, um, that's okay. It's okay if sometimes your, your heart is ahead of your mind. You can't quite comprehend and understand, but you believe with your heart that this is what God has said and that it must be true. 
General Shaw Clifton, in his book, Never the Same Again, writes, Where your heart goes, your reasoning powers will follow. You see, it really is simple. If you believe, then you're in touch with the God of light. If you lose touch and you move into the darkness, that's where you'll find yourself, in the darkness, away from the light. So you have to find, so if you find yourself in the darkness, what do you do? You don't stay there. You quickly confess your sin and move back into the light. Believe and receive. It's really as simple as that. But God's plan really isn't for us to struggle through life. We're not meant to keep moving from the darkness to the light, only to fall back into the darkness again. You and I have probably all experienced that, but that is not God's intention for your life. Instead, once we believe in God, it's his intention that we would grow in our faith, that we would become children of the light. In this um, closing moment of our meeting this morning, I wonder, where are you at? Where are you at? Are you walking in the light? Or are you stumbling in the darkness? Or maybe you're just playing around in the shadows, that place where, where the light and the darkness kind of merge and it's a shadowy place, trying to have it both ways. No matter what your state this morning, I want to encourage each one of you to seek the light, to seek God, to walk in the light. We have this place of prayer in front of our uh, sanctuary here, the, the mercy seat, the altars, the holiness table, a place to um, seek more of God's spirit. First of all, some of you may need to take that first step. For anyone here who needs to believe and accept God's love, demonstrated clearly through Christ's sacrifice, I invite you to come and pray. You don't have to wait for a song. If you know you're in darkness, if you know you're not walking as you ought to walk, come and pray. Seek the Lord. Seek the light. Seek forgiveness so you can come out of the darkness and into the light. Is there anyone here this morning that needs to do that? Is there anyone? The second step is to receive power. Power from God. Power through his Holy Spirit. You know, both the gift of, of coming for forgiveness, to be um, exposed to the light of God, and, and coming to receive power are, are acts of Christ. And they are both available to you today. As this gentleman has come to pray, do you need to come? Do you need to come? God gives us the gift and the power to live a life of goodness through the light of his spirit. And some of you this morning may have um, flirted with faith, living in the shadows. Maybe you've been living in the shadows for a long time. It's not that you're hostile. In fact, you're, you're very interested, kind of intrigued by this this thing called faith and forgiveness. Maybe you come here because you enjoy the music and you enjoy the fellowship. Maybe you've come here for a long, long time. But you haven't really taken that step of faith. What will it take? What will it take for you to believe and receive? ask you to bow your heads for prayer this morning. Before I pray, 
I wonder if there's anyone here who would indicate the need to, to move from the darkness to the light, to move to belief by raising their hand. Is there anyone here who knows they're walking in darkness and they need the light? Raise your hand. I encourage you to come forward. Step out of the darkness and into the light. Is there anyone here who would raise their hand because you know that you need to receive power to walk in the light? Anyone here? Kind of playing around in the edges and the shadow and you need power to be victorious? Raise your hand. Amen. God bless you. I encourage you too. Come forward. Seek the Lord as I pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for who you are. We know, Father, that you dwell in unapproachable light, that uh, we aren't even allowed to look upon your face because to do so we would be consumed because of your holiness. But Lord, we just marvel that um, through the miracle of the incarnation you sent your only Son who we could see and touch and hear, and we could understand in human form who you are. We thank you for Jesus. And God, I thank you that because of Jesus' death and sacrifice, the doors have been opened for us to be forgiven and to become children of light, children who walk in, in holiness and in purity. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit will bring us conviction when we, when we begin to flirt with those things of darkness again. God, I just pray that this morning you would bring conviction to each of our hearts as is appropriate in our relationship with you. And God, that we would not leave this place until we have spoken with you and made things right with you and set ourselves back firmly in the light. God, I do pray for uh, this one who's come forward and seeking you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would abundantly show your grace to him. Lord, that you would give him a, a sense of forgiveness as he um, confesses his sins, repents, and, and just lays himself before you. And God, for anyone else who may be struggling, maybe doing that transaction where they sit, I pray the same thing. Father, help us to be children of light and use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing... A song, Nothing But Thy Blood. Usually we've heard this done as a solo, but we're going to do it congregationally. As we sing, if you, um, if you feel God speaking to you, the Holy Spirit saying, I, I want to talk with you, please feel comfortable to come and pray. I'd love to uh, help you if you need any assistance in prayer. Let's sing together.
This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint, at 211 West Kersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.